Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. And welcome to the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm here with Dr. Greg Postel, expert at the Weather Channel. We're getting an update on Hurricane Dorian here. It's September 2nd. We're taping this podcast around 1 o'clock p.m. What's the latest, Greg? Well, what's terrifying is that it's essentially slowed to a stall. Right. And it is moving almost imperceptibly, Dorian is, over the Bahamas and delivering them a punch that I can't even describe because we don't have any analogs for this. I can't think of a storm this strong that literally has sat in the same place for hours. I mean, it must be devastation there in parts and our thoughts are with the people there in the Bahamas because it hasn't moved. It's one mile per hour at most over the last several hours. Yeah. I mean, if you think about all the hazards that accompany a normal major hurricane landfall with significant storm surge, and in this case, perhaps over 20 feet in some cases, um, and inside the eye wall, winds way over 100 miles per hour, analogous to a tornado, but that lasting for hours. When you combined all of that, um, it's really hard to describe. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, I'm afraid the Bahamas won't look like they used to once Dorian uh, yeah, moves I, away. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. So I, I, I think this is a storm for the record books. I don't believe we'll see the name Dorian for a storm again, simply because of its intensity and what's happening. Count it retired already. Count it retired. And let's look to the United States now, because we know that the models, it seems like here on the afternoon of September 2nd, have there's less spread in some of the models. So where do you think it's going? Well, it does appear now that the core of Dorian will remain offshore, the Florida coast. And that should mitigate the significant, for example, weather impacts. And even, um, yeah, I mean, that's the way it looks right now. But there's still room for the track to shift a bit. Because if you keep in mind that the 36-hour average track forecast error is about 55 miles. And if the edge of Dorian's core or the worst of it, the hurricane force winds are expected to be only 20 miles offshore... A really good forecast could wiggle either way and bring those hurricane force winds on shore. So we have to prepare for that possibility on the weather side of things. Now, in Florida, now for the oceanic impacts, we know there's going to be a pounding surf for days. There is going to be significant coastal flooding and major beach erosion. All of those will combine with the weather to make it quite a significant, impactful event for the entire peninsula. Talking with Dr. Greg Postel, uh, senior expert, weather expert, hurricane expert here at the Weather Channel, talking about Hurricane Dorian. We're, as we covered, uh, you know, we, we did, did coverage all morning on the Weather Channel. And be sure you're checking out the uh, live coverage on the Weather Channel. They're, they're your source, go-to source for this storm as we move forward got a lot of questions from people about why this has been such a difficult storm to forecast the track and where it's going. Talk to us about the meteorology of what's going on with the with the high pressure and the trough and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I can think about when hurricanes uh, get farther and farther north, they begin to be in 
they, they move away from a very sort of predictable, steady flow in the tropics where it's relatively easy to forecast, like the, the flow uh, westward across the Atlantic. That's a fairly steady progression. And yes, there are little movements here and there, but overall it's a, a uniform flow that they're in. And then it's not as unpredictable as when they get farther north, then they start to get influenced by the, the transient weather systems, the dips in the jet stream and the high pressure systems and predicting those out beyond a few days particularly when a hurricane is sensitive to slight adjustments in those positions, gives you the sense that this is a very difficult forecast because Dorian in particular is now subject to precise movements of a high pressure system in the subtropics and the mid-latitudes and an upcoming, an incoming upper trough from the mid-latitudes. So it's really being tugged and pulled by things that are hard to predict a few days out. And it's also very sensitive to slight adjustments in their position. And one of the things that I have noticed, though, in the last day or so, a couple of days, the Hurricane Center's official track has been, been consistent towards this offshore uh, uh, scenario and has been sort of steady in that. And so I, I, that kudos to the Hurricane Center. They've kind of been sort of sticking close to that, haven't been too bothered by the sort of model-to-model runs. They've made tweaks here and there. So I think they have had some confidence in, in their forecast. And because of that, we've seen the governors of Florida – uh, South Carolina, Georgia, perhaps North Carolina, starting to make evacuation plans, evacuation orders. Are those justified given the impacts you see? 100%. Now, that's the other thing, too. I mean, a lot of us have been focusing on Florida, and rightly so, and of course the Bahamas. But Georgia, South Carolina, and North Carolina are going to deal with significant impacts, likely, from Dorian later on in the week. And those could include significant weather impacts with you know, damaging winds as well as, again, significant coastal beach erosion, flooding, and heavy rain as well. And um, basically, the <laughs> I was talking to Stu Ostro a few hours ago, and we were likening this to a very, very significant nor'easter kind of assault on the coast where we see just day after day of a relentless attack of the ocean eating away at the coast. That may be kind of something we'll be dealing with in addition to add a layer on top of that, a tropical cyclone impact weather-wise as well, which can be localized but very intense. And that does, yes, include parts of Georgia and the South and North Carolina coast. So, I mean, if you live anywhere in those zones, all the way out to Cape Hatteras and as far southwest as Cumberland Island, Georgia, pay attention to all the forecasts because, you know, Marshall, you and I were talking about this earlier, wobbles in this case will matter a lot to all of us. Yeah, we were exactly. We were saying normally we maybe sort of say, yeah, let's let that wobble sort of steady state out. But in this case, as of as of September 2nd on the afternoon of this taping, we still haven't seen that turn just yet, even though we expected. And so we were hoping one of those wobbles was an indication of a trend, but it seems like it's still somewhat steady state. And by the way, the Weather Channel has uh, meteorologists all up and down the coast from Florida to North Carolina. So be sure to tune in because they're giving you the best information at all times about this storm. Do you think that comparisons to Matthew are fair or is there anything different about this scenario compared to Matthew from a few, three years ago? Um, meteorologically, I have a hard time using the analog method because every storm is different and um, the size, the movement, the internal structure, the um, 
the distribution of the weather inside of one hurricane to the other is very different. So I generally avoid doing that. But I guess for planners, I mean, if if they want something to go by, I suppose you can look back in history and and look at Matthew, for example, in this case, and say, well, you know, maybe this is the, what, how we prepared for Matthew, maybe again, how we should prepare this time around. But aside from that, I'm, I'm not a the huge proponent of, of the making those kind of I, I actually agree with you there. I think it's just a bit too dangerous to do that. And every storm has its own character. And we're, we're so quick to hear people say, well, I lived through Hurricane X and, you know, Hurricane Y may be the same. Well, it probably won't be the same. Probably uh, won't. Yeah. And so that's that's a great point. To say. What are you looking because I, because I'm hearing and I'm seeing in social media, there are people, for example, in Florida that just still don't believe this thing's going to turn because they're not seeing it. But meteorologically, and I, we were talking about this earlier, the state of meteorology and our, our, our models, we've got this huge, powerful storm just 200 or so miles off the coast of Florida, but there were no mandatory evacuations because we're that confident that it's going to make the turn. What are you going to be looking for as one of the top experts in this field? What are you looking for in the next uh, six to 12 hours? To, what, what, what do you need to see? Consistency in the forecasts, um, in all of the ones we look at, including the Hurricane Center and all of the models and the guidance that they look at to put into their consensus forecast. So I think that's something, you know, we're kind of all flying on instrument flight rule, right? I mean, we can look at the the wobbles we were talking about or the short-term trends, but beyond that, we're kind of slave to what the, the models are telling us. Right. And I think... Um, I think I, I will, I would like to see consistency going forward because with each passing, you know, cycle every six hours or so, we essentially get a new batch of forecasts and with more and more of those under our belt, um, we will have the confidence growing in the forecast, which I think actually has been pretty good in the last couple of days. I agree. The idea that, that Dorian, yes, a couple of days ago, the forecast brought it very close to, if not inland of Florida. But yeah, the forecast changes. That's what happens. That's the state of science. I think the public is often, and my, myself included, wanting more precision than science can give us. I think the appetite for that has outrun the state of science, where we really know that a hurricane track error, a good forecast is inside of 50 miles at 36 hours. Right. And right now we want five mile precision. And that just is not possible. Let, let's talk a little bit because you and I both uh, alluded to this on, on air on the Weather Channel earlier today, messaging issues around the storm. For example, right now, as, as we're taping this, the storm has been downgraded. And I'm, I'm going to come back to that word downgraded in a <laughs> right. moment because it's getting to my point. It's come from a cat five to a very strong cat four. But yet we use the term downgraded or weakened, and I fear sometimes that people may then take their foot off the gas in terms of their alertness related to the storm. What are your thoughts about how we message a storm like this and how we continue to message going forward, given the fact that there have been some uncertainties earlier on in the track? Are you concerned about long-term messaging with storms like this? I'm always concerned about that because when we are dealing with, uh, you know, some perceptible changes in the intensity or the track of something like Dorian, people, you know, I mean, and rightfully so, they listen to that and then continue that kind of trend forward without maybe a lot of data to support um, that. But it, I mean, I don't, we're dealing with a category, you know, major hurricane, regardless of whether or not it's 150 or 180 or even 130 for that matter. None of those options and those scenarios 
are good when you bring something that strong, that close. So, you know, we have to prepare. (laughs) I'll bring this analogy back. And if you say to somebody, there's a 40% chance of a rain shower and then it doesn't happen, it's no big deal. But if you tell somebody there's a 40% chance of a major hurricane eyewall going through, you want to prepare for that. And there's no other way around it. I, I, I get it that sometimes the forecasts are, you know, don't live up to the potential um, that they have, but you should p- plan for the potential because the alternative is potentially lethal. I, I, I agree. I think that's really good messaging by Dr. Talking to Dr. Greg Postel, uh, expert here at the Weather Channel about Hurricane Dorian. As, as we begin to wrap up this uh, podcast, again, be sure to tune into the Weather Channel for 24-7 coverage of Hurricane Dorian. Uh, they've got the uh, meteorologists from their uh, company all over the East Coast from Florida up to the Carolinas. This is Weather Geeks, and you know, we've given you a nice update you might be listening to coverage of the storm and you might hear some geeky terms. I'm going to put them out there to Dr. Mm. Postel. Uh, two terms, upwelling and mesovortices in the <laughs> eye wall. Let's go there. Yeah, let's go there. We went there on the air today. So yeah. let's go there because this is a podcast and we do like to geek out on Weather Geeks. So talk about those two terms so that the listeners can understand what they are and they hear them. Well, the stress that the wind exerts on the water, um, depending on how it is distributed can lead to water coming up from below to the surface. And if a hurricane is not moving like Dorian is right now, it's essentially stationary. It is inducing its own kind of circulation underneath it and in the water. It is inducing this kind of upward transport of cooler water to the surface. And that is a self-limiting aspect of slow moving or stationary hurricanes. They tend to cool the water themselves underneath it. So that will tend to, all else being equal, of course, limit the amount of fuel they have and lead to a reduction in the intensity of the circula- of the atmospheric circulation and the intensity of the storm. So upwelling, if a storm is stationary, it can lead to this upwelling or cooler waters underneath it, which can yield a weaker storm. We may be seeing some of that. I think we are seeing a little with of that. Dorian. Yeah. It depends also on the depth of the wa- of the warm water. If it's relatively uh, deep warm water, then it happens more slowly. And if it's very shallow warm water, then it happens much more quickly. So. And you might hear the term ocean heat content yeah. often. We often hear talk about the sea surface temperature, but ocean heat content is certainly a better metric because it talks about that column of warm water. The last term, mesovortices. We were, you, you were talking earlier about these little mesovortices in the mm-hmm. eyewall area, and these could have an, a, a short-term impact on the, the motion of the storm or its state. It, think of it this way. The, those little swirlies inside of the eyewall that we're seeing evolve now as part of a process that I'm really not going to get into now, but each one of those individual circulations inside of the larger one acts as like a little magnetic field. Think of it that way. So if you, if you got a whole bunch of different little magnets rotating around, it's going to try to attract the larger storm in one way, each one of them just a little bit. And so when you have them competing for Dorian's attention, you know, one of them is going to want to pull one Dorian this way. Another one is going to want to pull one, pull Dorian another way. And that's why we're seeing this wobbling going on because, um, 
the circulation is not uniform. It's got some little eddies inside of it, and each one of those individually is trying to affect the overall storm motion. So we're seeing a lot of wobbling going on. It's because of of that. It it may be sort of spinning down, at least temporarily. Yeah, and I think the storm, as we talked about, just came out of an eyewall. Like a a child's top spinning around, sure. When it's it's really fast, it's it's steady. It doesn't look like it's moving much, but then when it starts to slow down a bit, it's wobbling all over the place. And and eyewall replacement cycle, we just completed one, and that's where we see the uh, inner eyewall sort of weaken and get replaced by a larger eyewall. And as we expect with an eyewall replacement cycle, the storm can broaden a bit as well. I think we saw a little of that over the last uh, day or so as well. That's an unwanted sort of byproduct of the storm spinning down a little bit. I mean, it's going through this internal change called an eyewall replacement cycle. We'll avoid that for now. But um, one thing that happens when that process is... um, evolving and is complete is that the storm is gets bigger too. So maybe not as intense near the middle, but bigger. Right. And that would then extend the impacts potentially farther away from the center. So for now, let's say tropical storm force winds, I don't know, I think it's about a hundred miles that may get bigger right? and it may stay bigger. These eyewall replacement cycles, when you go through one, it, it keeps the enlargement. It doesn't get smaller again. It just keeps getting bigger right. and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, so that's one of the things we have to watch. We have to watch that, particularly with the track staying off coast. And uh, that could certainly have implications as this storm has forecasted its track, uh, uh, forecast a parallel and track along the coast, possibly making landfall either in North Florida, Georgia, or the Carolinas. We'll watch. But uh, right now, there's no impending threat of landfall to Florida. But we have to keep an eye on it if you're in Florida. And if you're in the Carolinas, I know you've been emphasizing this in Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, please stay tuned because some of the models out in the, those uh, out days are... Are, are somewhat uh, close to you in terms of where the storm may be. Yeah, we're three days out. Yeah. And remember, the average track air at three days is about, what, 70 miles Absolutely. or so? And uh, right now, the expected track is inside of that. So Absolutely. we're all talking margin of error here. Absolutely. And that's uh, going to do it for this special edition of the Weather Geeks podcast. Continue to monitor the Weather Channel. Uh, tune in to Dr. Greg Postel. You'll be on throughout the week, I imagine. I think 9 to 1, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. through the rest of the week, although I could use a break. Yeah, <laughs> well, point, I don't think the, you're going to get a break this week, <laughs> Dr. Postel, but thank you for joining us on this special edition. Continue to watch the Weather Channel and also subscribe to the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. Cheers. Stay safe. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.